This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Allie. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. So nice to be with you. So why don't you, that's awesome. Why don't you take us sort of all the way back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol and and drinking? Where did it all start for you? Yes. Okay. So for me, I think the beginning is probably similar to a a lot or a common story. Um, I started drinking heavily in college and I wasn't, I was, I liked, I look back and I feel like I was, I'm just going to say it. I feel like I was like a victim of a college lifestyle at a big Southern SEC school. I went to university of Georgia and it was just the normal to drink at all week at football games, at tailgates, at parties, at socials. And I didn't like alcohol. Like I didn't under, I remember my freshman year being so confused and frustrated because I was like seeing all these people around me drinking and loving it and having so much fun. And I was like, this doesn't taste good. I would like sneakily go to a liquor store to try to buy like really nice alcohol to like, well, maybe if I buy the nicer stuff, it'll feel better. And it, it didn't really, it didn't sit with me, but I'll, you know, I still was very social, was very like involved. I was like president of my social committee at the sorority. And so by default, I found myself drinking. And eventually, like I learned in your book, you just acquire the taste for it. And so I started to, and at at the time, I had no idea this was happening, but I just was starting to drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, but Sunday, girls night wine down just a few glasses of wine. Um, I would study really, really hard. And I did really, really well in college. I was somehow able to balance it and never really realized what it was doing. And then my senior year, I remember being like, this is not like, I want an amazing job. I want to be CEO of a company in a few years. I want to start, I was very driven. And so I kind of started to peel back, but I moved to New York city after college. And it was, I, it was even worse than college. Like when it came to like being influenced by your surroundings. Um, I worked at a tech startup, a really a great company. And, um, fast pace every time you made a sale or you made a deal you rang a gong and you chugged a beer and I didn't I know I was like well I don't want to chug a beer can I leave early and go to yoga um so I still was trying to balance it but I again found myself well team happy hours are Thursday nights and Fridays we go out to West Village and go to fancy dinners and go clubbing and 
Saturday, it, it was just on and on and on and, and dating, not to mention dating, you know, all, like dating in New York equals getting drinks and the dates going well, you get more drinks. That's like the sign of a good date. Um, at least and where in the circles I was running and stuff. And, um, so I just, I didn't know for so long and I was young. So people might say, oh, you were young. You could handle alcohol. Oh, and it frustrates me really bad that it was written off that way. I looked at, like, I talked to so many doctors. I started to have like health issues with IBS and my gut. I would have that really like bad bouts of anxiety and like episodes of depression on the, it started really small on the weekends. Also learn from your book, like the, about all the dopamine hits and like how your brain reacts to drinking and the next day, if you're sad, that's a normal reaction. But it, it was getting to the point where I was still like ignoring it and like, oh, well, as long as I do a lot of yoga and I train for my run, my long runs and uh, meditate and eat really healthy and clean, like, of course I can go out again tonight and drink a bottle of wine with my friends at dinner and then get martinis and then get shots. Like, of course. Um, so to the point where I was going to like specialist in New York for my IBS. So for like gut problems and for, and then separately for anxiety and depression and looking at all the other things it could be besides alcohol. And I don't think we look, it's like, we just look, these are huge industries like the gut and health industry and mental health. And so often I feel like we look at all the other things that could be causing it, but sometimes like drinking a lot of a toxic substance could really be what was um what is harming our bodies and for me that was definitely the case so the way that I discovered this though this is where you come in was finding your book and the way that I found it is actually kind of fun I my roommate was working on the website or the the blog for hip sobriety um I don't I'm sure you know I think you've interviewed her before Holly um and she was doing some sort of design work and she was like, Allie, you should check this out. It seems right up your alley on really cool wellness blog of some sort. So I look at this blog and Annie, I remember reading it and just like my, the whole rest of my day plans and out the window. I just went on a tailspin of reading all of her articles all about how sobriety isn't, it's amazing. It's actually amazing. You're actually going to be making an amazing decision. And um, she had one of her blog posts was like my favorite books about quitting drinking and yours was one of them. I ordered it on Amazon right away and I went back to reading and I just want to read the, this one thing that like really stuck with me. And I, I wrote it down. I wrote so many things down from your book too, but this is the one that got me there. So discovering you can't tolerate a toxic carcinogenic poison isn't a consequence. It's a privilege. It's your body talking to you loud and clear and quitting drinking is a proud choice. Um, and I just like, yeah, I like even take a deep breath thinking about it because I remember reading that and reading, you know, don't believe what people tell you. Like you're going to have more energy. Your skin's going to be better. You're going to have better conversations, more money, like s more clarity when making decisions. Like, and and uh, I was like, how, who wouldn't want this? Like, why would I not try this at least for a little bit? Um, and then when I read, so then a few days later, it was all a very fast process. And, and I don't wanna, I don't know. I feel like sometimes my story doesn't sound that bad. Like I, I was young, I was never 
I, I don't know if I was ever to the, no, but I, I was addicted. Like I drank most nights of the week. If I wasn't out, it was wine at home with my roommate and we would, you know, pretend that wasn't really drinking, but it, it was like, um, and, and I would think about it all the time. This is also, sorry to, to sidetrack, but I, I do want listeners to realize like I did, I, just because I wasn't quote an alcoholic or ever like, um, uh, labeled one, I read a definition in your book, I think too, like if it, if it's consumed, if you're thinking about it, when you wake up, if you're like, oh, I shouldn't drink tonight, how am I going to not drink? I need to go to that fitness class to prevent myself from drinking. Like that's a problem because you're wasting your energy and your time and your creative mind space thinking about a substance. Um, so I, I do feel like I did have a problem. I feel like a lot of it's this muddy water of like, I know I was, I didn't, go to rehab, but I really feel like I don't, I'm not shy or, uh, what's the word, like scared to admit, like, yeah, it had control of my, my mind and definitely had control of my body, um, and my mental health. So really was a breath of fresh air to read your book and to learn the like very clear science behind what it's doing to me. And then taking a break and feeling just so relieved and strong about doing so and not like it was a burden or a challenge even at the time. Um, the story goes on though. So for, for several months, it was great. And I, I kicked it. I, um, I was traveling. I went to Costa Rica for a month. Um, like after I read, it was a, a few weeks after I read your book, I would always go um, in the winter somewhere warm. I hated the winters in New York. So go somewhere warm. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's, it's easier here too. Like people aren't, things aren't centered around drinking. Um, I, I surf a lot. Um, I do a ton of yoga. I, I work really hard. I love my job. Like I, I run sales for a corporate wellness company. That's amazing. So I love being able to put more energy into my, my job, my surfing. And I was able to do that so much more in Costa Rica. Um, because I didn't have these influences of, of just every night drinking because there's nothing else to do in the social world. Or at least that's what it was for me in New York. Um, so I actually decided to move a few months after coming back from Costa Rica. And I really think this whole like self healing process with alcohol triggered that, um, which is crazy to think about how a simple thing as like finding a blog and ordering a book can set you on this new path really cool to think about. Um, so I started, as I stopped drinking, my gut was getting better. Like my stomach problems, still not perfect. Like I'm not going to claim it was like the end all be all, but mental health, definitely better. I went off of Lexapro. So I was like really excited to be able to go off it again. Sometimes I'm like, that'd be great if I was on it, but like, I, I don't feel like I need it anymore. Um, and I feel really really happy to feel all the emotions, like to have the sad days, to have the happier days. And I wasn't able to do that on Lexapro or when I was drinking a lot um, in New York. So flash forward, here I am now. And I, I realized that a lot of what triggered me was my environment. Like I'm doing better, like living, I live in Southern California now. Um, and I, I will, I don't know if this is taboo to say, I'm excited to talk to you about this, but I, I don't, I've been, I can't say I exact, I've been like quote unquote completely sober since I read your book two years ago, but I 
drink, I can count on, you know, one hand, how many times I've had a drink in the past three months, or I had some wine at Thanksgiving, because we had this really fancy chef cook us this amazing meal. And I was like, I'm gonna have a glass of wine. And my sister's wedding, I had, I remember I had a glass of champagne, and I got a little tipsy. And, and that was it. But five years ago, if it was my sister's wedding, I would have been like, looking so forward to the open bar and thinking about all the top shelf liquor and um, excited to just like party, but I didn't need it. And I still had a wonderful time. Um, but yeah, so I do, I do have this relationship with it where I do have it once in a while. Another interesting thing I, I wonder you'll ask me about, but I do realize though, if you let it go a little bit too far, if you do have a few glasses within a month even, which is insane, then you do start to crave it again. And you do start to think about that next time you're going to have it. And like, no, thank you. I don't want to deal with that. So I really do try to keep it really, really sparse, but um, it is hard. So now where I'm at is my family and friends, my closest relationships, most people around me drink um, a lot and not, not like it doesn't affect their, like they're amazing, fun, wonderful people, but it, it does, I do feel like it's a challenge to not enjoy that, that fancy glass of wine that my a sibling brought to the dinner table that he researched or something. And um, I just feel like I miss this connectivity with them. And I, I wish there was a way to reverse it. And for me to, to show people that are also dealing, like everyone has their issues or different things they're dealing with, whether they want to gain or lose weight <laughs> Um or be more fit or fix their mental health problems. But I feel like in a hard place now, cause I now I'm like, well, well you can, you can, you can stop drinking so much. You can stop having your wine every night. And I, I listened to one of your podcasts about this and you're like, you just, you want to be able to help so many people, but there's only so much you can do. Um, so I do hope that, you know, someone listening will, will be affected, but it is, it is an interesting spot to be in all of a sudden being really happy with my own like body and mental health, but, and, and feeling like I'm on continuing to have better health, the more years I go without drinking, but also just feeling like a sadness sometimes for not being able to impact those around me. Um, so, so yeah, I hope I didn't leave anything out. What gaps did I, did I leave out? <laughs> no, that was awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, I think that everything you said is, is, is really fascinating. And having also lived in New York for a few years, I remember that even friendships, I was so surprised. It was like, okay, and of course, what else are you going to do? But it all revolved around drinking. If you were going to try to like make a new friend, which was something that I was really excited to do because I didn't know anybody when we moved there. Um, it was going to be like, let's meet up at a bar. Let's meet up for drinks. And so I didn't ever live in New York not drinking, but I've had a lot of people on the podcast who have who have navigated that side of it too. And yeah, it's like super, super challenging, but also really affirming. And I think that in some ways what you're describing, like, you know, sitting down and your siblings researching this fancy bottle of wine or you're in New York City or whatever, it's almost as if you are doing this with you know, extra weight on your back, it, but in a, in a good way, like it can be a bad way or a good way. Like you can see that as like, oh great, I have to, you know, be in this situation and do it. I've even had people tell me, well, it's so easy for you. You just live in Colorado and probably it's like, you know, different and 
I think it can be a challenge no matter where you are. But I also think that if you are constantly carrying around weight, like imagine that you're running every day, but you're doing it with ankle weights or something like mm -hmm. you are becoming stronger. You are actually like creating skills and abilities that you wouldn't otherwise have if you didn't have to navigate all of these heavy drinkers in your life and all of this social situation. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. Wait, that's really, yeah, that's really helpful to think of it that way because it does feel like a weight sometimes. And I feel scared. Like, will I ever, will I meet someone? I'm 31. Um, and I've, I've been in some great relationships and, uh, but I am nervous. Like, will I, will I eventually find someone that I have similar views on with drinking? Like it's, it, it is hard to date without, drinking at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind it, but it's, um, and then something just to go back to the friend thing too. I do remember in New York going out to like a really going out to nice dinners. And even it was so amazing. Even when I was starting to do this, there was like this revival and these like uh, mocktails on menus. And I would order just like a club soda with lime and a little bit of simple syrup or something. Um, but I had friends that would be like, Allie, are you, you're seriously not going to drink with us or are you really not going to have a glass of wine? Like, come on, you're not going to celebrate. Like it was so mean and it hurt. And, um, and I did lose some friendships over it, but like, you know, you, you've said this in your book too, like you realize that there are some friendships that are based around drinking and it's really sad. Um, but then you'll eventually build up the ones that aren't. And, uh, another really cool thing, um, two of my closest friends in New York, when I stopped drinking, um, I realized they don't, they didn't drink that much either. And I was the one, like one of them is, is this amazing meditation teacher. One, um, they're, they're both really into wellness and fitness and they work out and they're exuberant and in shape. And when I stopped drinking, they're like, oh yeah, we don't need a drink or, oh, we can just have one. Like, and I was like, oh my God, all this time, you guys, why didn't you tell me I'm the one here, like pushing drinks on people. And so that was kind of cool because to, to this day, they're two of my best friends. And, um, and I, I was kind of like living this delusion that everyone in my world drank a lot. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's so interesting. I, I had the same experience with certain friends too, who, yeah, I just imagined that everybody was like me and, um, and it wasn't always true. Some people were way more so, of course. And then those friendships, like you said, kind of fell by the wayside a bit, but it really did depend because, you know, I'm still can be friends with some very heavy drinkers. It's just, it, it sort of depends how, what their comfort level with their own drinking is. That is generally what it comes down to. Like if people are really uncomfortable with their own drinking then being around somebody who's not drinking, just holds up a mirror to that pain they're already experiencing inside or that internal kind of dialogue that they're experiencing that is saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing as much of this or hey, maybe this is getting to be a problem. And then if you spend time with someone who's not drinking, that dialogue kind of ramps up. And I've found they kind of self-select out of the friendship because it's very hard for them to be relaxed or calm or peaceful if I'm, you know, my just presence is amping up that dialogue. But I also think that if people are, you know, drinking a lot and very comfortable in their drinking, then that actually doesn't, isn't an issue. Like, and, and I guess, you know, maybe it's, it's delusional. And, and like you say, it's frustrating to see that somebody might be having health problems or some other stuff. And you're like, well, you know, there is this one thing that you're putting in your body that I know you don't want to hear about, but equally, I've just learned to 
be an example more than anything. And I think that that's true in all of your situations that you're talking about is like the longer you are showing up and showing what it's like to, you know, just barely drink or not drink at all. And, and this different lifestyle, this different approach to thing, people notice that and they notice so much more with like your presence and your personality and just having fun anyway, than they do even with lecturing. I, I like to say that nobody takes advice they don't ask for and they usually don't take advice they do ask for but they certainly people aren't going around taking you know unwanted unsolicited yeah tell me what to do mm-hmm. nobody's saying what to do so anyway I think that just being you is is really powerful it's awesome yeah I I guess one and just another thought that came up from that is that being me also includes because of what I do, like my, my job in the wellness industry. And, um, I'm also a yoga teacher. So I am see me like people see me as this like person who's just super quote unquote healthy. So I do sometimes worry too. They're like, Oh, well that's Allie's just a healthy person. So she doesn't drink. Like I don't, I want, I also want people to know that it's not just that, like, even if I wasn't this health guru and young and yoga teacher, like it would have still made such a huge difference in my life. Like if I, you know, I, I don't know, like I want the people who don't have the same lifestyle as me to also realize it's, it's, it could be for anyone. Like, you know, cutting back on drinking doesn't have to just be reserved for yoga teachers and vegans or I'm not, I'm not vegan, but like, like that, do you see that? And like, do you see that there are, no, I even feel like watching your podcast, you see all sorts of different people who come to yeah. this realization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that you're probably a little bit experienced in that, what I was talking about, about kind of accidentally holding up a mirror to somebody else's behavior, even in making dinner choices, you know, where somebody orders fries and a shake and you order something like a salad and they're like, oh shoot, I shouldn't have ordered that. Oh man. Maybe, you know, just they, mm-hmm. they have this internal dialogue that's triggered just by your choices, which I don't think is all a bad thing. It just depends, you know, I think pulling each other kind of forward in the whole thing, whether it's health or alcohol or wellness in general, um, it's great because I think that so much of our hesitation around all of those choices is we feel like oh, we should do it. And we have all this negative emotion around, we should do it. Then we feel guilty for not doing it. And we don't really see that actually, once you get into certain things, like exercise is a really good example that if you get into exercise and you find something that you really want to do, that you don't feel like you should do, which there's infinite numbers of ways you can move your body. And eventually you're kind of in this position where you're like, oh, I miss not doing that. Well, I really like to do that. Well, my day doesn't feel right if I do do that. And then Mm -hmm. you sort of become that person. But I'm a firm believer that it has to stem from this place. And same with alcohol. I mean, the book, This Naked Mind, of course, and everything else that um, that we do as an organization stems from this foundation of positive emotion. Like you, you need to take away all the negative emotion around drinking and then inject some like hope and possibility and curiosity, which I would all consider positive emotions to say, hey, what is this gonna be like? Like maybe it will be great, you know? And then I think of course, Holly, um, from Tempest and Hip Sobriety, like, you know, she and I are, are very close still, and she just does a phenomenal job at that. Just, you know, like you've read the quote, just injecting this idea of, no, this is a proud choice. This isn't a, this isn't a sacrifice. This is actually something I'm choosing and I want to choose. And yeah. I think that the more we can do that as a society, the more we can move from this, like, 
sad addiction I don't get to because I overdid it conversation to this like, hey, wait a second, like maybe life's better over here, wellness conversation when we're talking about alcohol, I just think we'll do elevate the whole conversation, which would be very cool. Yeah, like having my Saturday and Sunday mornings to just like, like bask in feeling great and sleeping in, but not having drank the night before. So having this like renewed energy and vigor to tackle the day and, and do things like, cause weekends. So hopefully I'm not working. Sometimes I'll catch up, but even, even that, if I have to catch up on work and it makes it just joyful and happy to attack the day without this lingering headache or stomach ache or whatever it was that the alcohol, you know, bad night's sleep. Um, that's so huge for me was having my, my mornings back and just feeling not, not that I ever thought even knew they were gone. I just kind of felt like, eh, do I really need to do that class this early now? I'll do it later and sleep in and watch Netflix. Like that's, that's not living your best life. I don't, I personally don't think it is, but that's another question I was quickly going to ask you. Like I, as, as I learn more about like my health issues, my body, like I realized that I, it did take me a lot longer than others to get quote, like hooked on alcohol in college. And like, I was always like, "Mm," and I, and I would, you know, order those club sodas and sneakily, sneakily, which is horrible to have to say, but like not drink at bars. I would like pay the bartender to give me club sodas all night. So even though like, so it negatively affected me so much, but our, our bodies, I guess, are just so different that some of my friends bounced back from it so quickly, could work out the next day and study all day and get, take exams and be fine. And I, I do still wonder and mull over what was it or what is it inside of my chemistry that made me so aware of it? And do some people just, you know, is it true that, oh, they have a better liver, like, or they, I, I guess to an extent it, it like some people do right or I don't know I don't I obviously like I don't know the ins and outs of of all of this stuff because I'm not a doctor but the research that I have done and obviously combined with my own experience I think that the body is incredible if it incredibly efficient at what you ask it to do every single day and incredibly efficient at what you ask it to do on a regular basis even um and even if that thing is detrimental, it's doing it to a point of protection, right? So the idea of tolerance is so fascinating to me because it used to be like this hard won prize. I remember same thing. I I literally remember being in bars in New York and having everybody else having ordered another drink and just knowing like this is early in my like heavy drinking days, knowing I just couldn't do it sneaking to the bathroom and like pouring it out and then filling my glass <laughs> up and pouring the beer bottle out and oh my like, god I did that <laughs> and filling the beer bottle up with water so I could just nurse it for the rest of the night and um and just being like oh I don't want to I don't want to feel bad tomorrow I don't want to get tipsy I don't want to feel all these things but for me because I probably drank longer than you did um because I'm 42 now and I stopped drinking about six years ago it was eventually I did create this tolerance to where I was one of those people that I could do that all the time that I, I was, I could go drink all night long and then rally the next morning and actually be like, Oh, ha ha. Like you guys are all wusses. I can't believe that you can't like bring it, you know, yeah. for the 7am meeting after we've been out till three. 
Um, but I, so tolerance in general is fascinating because it's literally the body's mechanism of protection of getting faster and faster and more efficient at purging the toxin. Like that's what it is. And in order to purge the toxin, it does it faster, it does it more efficiently and you feel it less because it's like, oh, this thing out. Um, but then your body has all sorts of sacrifices when it's doing that, because when it's spending so much time and effort, even if it can become infinitely like much more efficient at doing it, it is still sacrificing other things that it could be doing. So like when you're, when you're, um, when your body is purging alcohol, so when you're drinking heavily, your body will stop digesting food which is why you'll still be hungry even after a huge meal once you get two or three mm -hmm. in the morning it just sits there or it will stop regulating your blood sugar which is why it can be so dangerous for people who have low blood sugar anyway which i did and i found that out later like i had a mild form of hypoglycemia and i'm like oh that's interesting because alcohol would affect me more because i have that in general so i think it's a combination of just time and tolerance and then natural things that if alcohol you know helps you like does if drinking alcohol makes it so that you're not naturally regulating your blood sugar and you have naturally low blood sugar then that's going to make you feel worse on the whole if if you're you know naturally not as hydrated perhaps or you have um other situations like we know physiologically that women are more affected by alcohol than men. And there's lots of different reasons for that. But so I think there certainly are some physical aspects to it, but I think kind of because the body's so amazing in most circumstances, we can plow through those and we can just mm -hmm. kind of force the body to become tolerant and efficient at purging alcohol. And that's, that's really what I did. I didn't heed any of those kind of warnings. Um, just kind of steady on. <laughs> I know. I remember points where I, I like, like thought, oh, wait, this doesn't feel that bad. But I was, I think, and anyone in my family, like my family and friends will tell me, Ali, you are a little too much in tune with your body or you too, like, I don't think there's such a thing as too much, but I, I was very like, like aware of how I, I can feel when my stomach's going to be, to hurt or whatever it is. Um, quick question I, that I, that happens when I stopped drinking, I also just, couldn't really do caffeine like coffee anymore like I was like oh this is so frustrating I want it I love it I love a latte or um I didn't ever drink like tons of coffee ever like each multiple cups every day um but it's so interesting because it's exactly what you said about regulate like our bodies regulating our blood sugar it's like as soon as I removed alcohol and I was like also not eating too much sugar the coffee I just didn't need the coffee to feel better to to feel energized in the morning and then at night I would have now I sleep like a baby because I don't do caffeine but I'm wondering I'm secretly like I love coffee so much I want my body to be able to to get back on track with that and regulate that so that's the current experiment is like can I drink coffee again because that's like my like my treat um yeah. but it is interesting how the body like similarly like metabolizes and reacts to it and says, oh, this is a stim stimulant and like, oh, you're going to have a down from it. Yeah. Really minor compared to alcohol. But do you see that a lot with people who quit or yeah. like, does it ever come up? For sure. And so in my own experience, I stopped drinking coffee for two years because when I, um, I just did a water challenge. I did a 10 day uh, just drink nothing but water challenge. We still ate food, but it was just like to try to, you know, reawaken your natural thirst and tried to drink more water 
And I remember at the end of the 10 days, I just felt so much less anxious that I was like, wow, I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to drink coffee anymore. And, um, and then I did add it back in probably six months ago, like a little bit here and there, like maybe a cup a day instead of like a, you know, morning, afternoon, mid afternoon coffee. And it's been okay, but I still notice, I mean, I'm very present to the fact that if you do it all the time, you need it. If you don't do it all the time, you don't need it because the substance Mm -hmm. itself is creating the need for itself. And so that, that initial upper is, is replaced by a lower downer. And then you just are on this cycle again. And so, but we did try, it was so funny because we tried, my husband and I did it together and we tried all sorts of other things as treats. Like we do tea chino, which is like tea coffee that doesn't actually have, which is really good by the way. Tastes yeah, great. yeah. Um, or, you know, decaf and all of these things. And we'd make it religiously in the mornings, just like we did coffee for like the first two weeks. And then mm-hmm. we'd forget one morning and it would be like, huh, oh, we didn't do that this morning. And then we'd make it again. And then we'd forget like a few days later. And it was funny because with coffee, you do not forget. And that for me was like, oh no, there's something different here. There's mm-hmm. something that's not a habit, not just like something warm, not just, you know, something enjoyable. There's something different because we never once in like the six, seven, eight years we had been married at that time, never forgot to make coffee. <laughs> as soon as something else in the coffee pot we started forgetting and we'd forget like for days weeks at a time and we'd be like oh yeah we should make some that would be fun but (laughs) there's definitely there's actually something that is creating a different response in my brain that is an addiction and so it is interesting but it's like all those things like well you know I think it's all just for me a self-experiment and then knowing that I know enough that like I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose feeling better over anything. If I can have my cake and eat it too, great. But if it comes to a point where I'm feeling like, no, I'm just too anxious or I'm just, then I'm going to probably give it up again. And it's nice to know that I can and did. And so I don't know, but it is just experimentation and, and just knowing, like you said, with alcohol, like, okay, even just, you know, a few subsequent drinks or drinking for a month, like I'm right back there. And just knowing that I feel like that level of self-awareness and empowerment and decision-making is in some ways so much more powerful than this blanket never again, because it you're retaining control. Now, in some ways it's much more difficult because you are always having to say, am I going to, am I not? And there's a lot of questioning and, and you open up a big noise again in your mind. Whereas when you make a firm decision, that noise goes away. You're like, no, that's just a no for me. And so it's much easier not to have that kind of like, huh, should I, shouldn't I? And decision-making in general takes brain power. So when you have more decisions to make, like, am I going to have another cup of coffee? Then you're wasting, like you just are using more brain power and, and it's called decision-making fatigue. And if you're just like, no, I'm, I have one cup of coffee a day and that's it, then that decision has just already been made and you don't live in that limbo. So it is more difficult. But I also think that there's something to be said for, you know, really feeling empowered. I mean, I still... If I'm interviewed on TV or whatever, I st- and they say, you know, do you, uh, are you sober or whatever? I'm like, no, you know what? I, I drink as much as I want whenever I want. I just haven't wanted to have a drink in six years. And even <laughs> in my own brain, that is like really empowering for me. Like that feels good to me. That feels like where mm-hmm. I want to live. I want to live not in the rules, not in the caring what other people think, 
just in my own truth, which my own truth is that I don't want to have a drink right now. So I'm not going to, but my own truth is also that I'm not going to sit here and declare um, never again, because A, I know my brain has the possibility to freak out on me probably less so now than it did in the first few years, but it certainly does. And B, I'm not going to know I'm successful until I'm dead. So like that's, it doesn't seem like a goal that, you know, is even worth pursuing, but that's just my journey. And, and what I say to everybody listening is like, you've got to find your own truth in this and your own journey. And the experimenting with, you know, does this one cup of coffee lead to five? Like that sort of thing is part of it. It's not failures or mistakes. It's just really finding like, like, um, I almost never cuss on this podcast, but Holly Whitaker, since we're talking about her, she says, you know, yeah. you just got to know what you can fuck with. Like, you just have to know, like, you know, yeah, know that. And then that's cool. Like, just know it for yourself. And then don't, don't judge anybody else for it, but know it for yourself. Do the work to figure that out for yourself. And then, you know, then it's all good. And she's like, she has this whole hilarious list of things she can't fuck with, which is like single men in Paris and alcohol and <laughs> cocaine and I don't know all this stuff, but I'm like, that's so great. Like, you know, but she's like, but then there's things I can, which is like coffee, like, you know, gummy, gummy candies. Like they might be a little dangerous, but I can do it. And I'm in it, you know, sort of thing. And I like that approach. I think it's really cute. Yeah. I didn't, I, I gotta reread some of her stuff. I, that also, I forgot to shout out like a huge part of my like past few years and like getting better was having, working with a health coach. Like not, and, and it would, the, the irony is that I went to all these fancy doctors in New York for health and to psychiatrists and um, to lots of nutritionists, like nutritionists are wonderful too. But I, I found this health, a health coach who has a fun, great mentality about non-restrictive eating and drinking, like never restricting things in your diet or like, like, just like what you said, like just owning your own. Um, decisions and what you can handle and working with her absolutely changed the game for me with, with eating and then drinking. It was like, it was almost refreshing because she was like, eh, yeah, like have that one glass of wine if you want, but let's not, let's not focus too much on that. Like let's focus on X, Y, Z for now. Like she never made it too much about the alcohol, but she, she, like, it was a very broad, it was like alcohol, coffee, your sugar intake, your um, greasy food, whatever it was. And it was like, no, if you say no, you can never have this again. Or I was freaked out if I was like celiac or gluten, if I couldn't have gluten. I got better once I realized I can have it once in a while and it hurts my stomach a little. And the next day it'll have a little, a little pain in my stomach. Sometimes a giant cookie from an amazing bakery is worth it. And like, so just like Holly said, like, it's worth that. Like I can, I can mess with the cookie. Um, and that really, was was huge so I always tell people I'm like work with a health coach like you don't need to spend thousands of dollars on tests and all this like first just try to like wrap your head around how you feel about your your drinking and your eating and what it's doing to you emotionally um because that's really where people we should start and we don't we start with all sorts of expensive crazy testing and um anyway okay I get really I get really impassioned about uh, that side of no, it I I had a very similar journey. I, um, I did a bunch of testing and I, I came up for gluten and dairy and I took years off of them. And it was, it, there was almost a rebound effect because I keep trying to sneak it and like have a little bit. And it was like mm -hmm. this weird thing in my mind. And then if, if it didn't hurt my stomach, then it was more. And if it did hurt <laughs> 
And it was like sad and bummed out. And it was a very similar cycle. And then eventually, I think two things happened. One, I just took long enough away for it where I really did allow my gut to heal a lot. But then another thing was that I went through just a process of like, okay, I'm going to consciously decide on certain things instead of just kind of like, okay, cookie, you know, no conscious decision, no conscious thought, just like, there it is. It's just some bread. I'm just going to have it. I'm going to be like, no, do like, I'm going to actually choose this and know that I'm going to suffer or maybe not, but I'm going to choose it. And that was a big turning point for me too, of just saying like, you know, I'm, things are, are not black and white. Um, I mean, we can make them as black and white as we want to for ourselves, if that helps us and serves us. But I have not found that to be particularly helpful for me, like that things are just 100% black and white. And in the alcohol conversation, I think it's really fascinating because we don't treat almost anything else as black and white. You know, we celebrate less in almost every other conversation, but in the traditional sobriety conversation, we don't celebrate less, we celebrate none. And I think that that can be a real hindrance to people wanting to come into the conversation because if none is the goal and you're not ready for a none goal, then you're not even gonna start. And so I think that, you know, the celebration of less and, you know, I guess it's traditionally called like harm reduction and knowledge and understanding. I am such an advocate that no matter what you do, no matter what you put in your body, I think you just owe it to yourself to know as much about alcohol as you do about the Advil you're taking, you know, just know about the side Mm -hmm. effects know about what what it really is doing and saying and then make your decision but just give yourself some knowledge um but i think we prevent ourselves from that knowledge when we because of the dynamic of the conversation is so black and white um sobriety or relapse and i think that's it's unfortunate and hopefully it will change yeah and i like last thing that i I just have to note because it's been on my mind so much and then we can we can kind of wrap probably but um is that even coming on this podcast, I was scared. Like, I was like, you know what? This is kind of scary. Like, I don't want friends or family to listen to this and be like, oh my God, like Allie had a problem with alcohol. Was Allie an alcohol? It's like, no, like, I, I no, like I, I came to, or I, I don't want to just shout out no, but like I had, like I said earlier, like I did struggle with like the thinking and how much I should drink, when should I drink? And I finally feel free from that but it shouldn't be so taboo. Like I should be able to talk about my journey with drinking too much and how it affected my body and then not feel like forever I'm branded with this like label. Um, Cause that's, that's still kind of what it feels like. And I have to shake it off and realize that that is what society has conditioned us, conditioned us to believe, but it's not, it's not true. I don't know. That was a huge thing when you're in your book and um, Alan Carr and um every the the discussion around like the alcoholic or not the alcoholic anyway so I don't think it I don't think the term or the label serves us at all and I think as soon as we can start to look at this entire conversation from a wellness perspective um we're just because the truth is you know there isn't even really a clinical definition for the term alcoholic but the CDC does define uh dependence on alcohol and it is that only 10% of excessive drinkers are clinically dependent on alcohol, according to the Center for Disease Control. And so if you think of that excessive drinkers and then only 10%, it's a really small 
small fraction. And so we're not talking about this physical thing. In most cases, we're talking about a mental and emotional conversation because we know the physical part goes away within just days. Um, and that mental and emotional conversation, it isn't that there's like some something wrong with your chemistry or you're part of this one small minority that you know somehow is, is screwed. It's, it's really just an everybody conversation. And so I think we'll just, and, and look, it is an everybody conversation because the huge majority of Americans and most Western cultures and even a lot of Eastern cultures now drink excessively. Like there isn't even a, um, there isn't even a question about that. So anyway, I think that the more people who are just like, yeah, no, I just want to, it's a proud choice. I feel better about it. And yeah, I'm not going to take on any label. You can do that in your own head if you want to, but that's not, that's not me. I think the, the faster the whole thing can change, which is really exciting. Yeah. Sweet. Well, Allie, let me ask you the question that I always ask at the end, which is mm. if you were going to go back in time to Allie and talk to her about what life is like now, what would you say? what life is like, like, po like without drinking so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it is, I did the word that comes to my head is just like alive and energized, like, and feeling like, yes. Yeah. So I feel, I would tell her, like, if you want to get to that point where you just feel so much more alive and impassioned and energized, um, about what you're doing, whether it is a, a good thing or a stressful situation, like just, just don't get too hooked on that alcohol when you're living your fancy life in New York City or you're, you know, I do wish that that I knew that. And I wish my like pipe dream, like a like, long-term goal is to somehow impact people right, right away. Like when they start to become of drinking age, like in college or later in high school and to, to be that voice of reason that should, doesn't teach like total no, don't drink, but really helps them realize what it could be like. So I like to go back and, and think about that and how I eventually will, will do that. That's so awesome. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too. I've, I've been looking forward to this for so long. So it's a pleasure. And I just all the more, I'm so excited to share with my friends because I've gotten a lot of people to read your book, friends, family. This is going to help even more. <laughs> well, thanks, Allie. Thank you. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.